A warm welcome to all who join us today. My name is Ray, and I'm one of the pastors here at Wellington. Today I have my Netherlands mug with me because it has this wonderful picture of a windmill on it. Windmills are amazing structures engineered to harness the power of the wind for grinding grain, uh, pumping water, generating electricity. Apparently, the first windmills go all the way back to the Roman Empire. Windmills were constructed in regions like the flatlands of the Netherlands, where the flow of the river was too slow to provide the required power. So they represent uh, ingenuity that enabled societies to move forward in the face of adversity. What would help us move forward today? Last weekend, I talked about the VUCA moment we are living. VUCA is an acronym for V, volatile, U, uncertain, C, complex, and A, ambiguous. Today's world is V, volatile, because the world is unstable and changing quickly. Today's world is U, uncertain, because no one can predict the future and no one understands what is happening, at least not fully. Today's world is C, complex, because there are so many factors involved and it's impossible to analyze everything. Today's world is A, ambiguous, because things are fuzzy and vague. No one knows how long the pandemic will last. VUCA has become this catch-all term for, hey, it's crazy out there. According to Psalm 121, the song we studied last week, the Lord, Yahweh, he has the whole universe in his hands. And even though he has the whole universe to watch over, he's present to help us personally at all times, in all places. He never tires. Maybe you say, okay, The Lord is present to help me, but how do I move forward now? In my personal life, COVID-19 has changed the the way I, I visit my aging father, the plans for my daughter's wedding in September, meetings with elders, with pastors, with church members, church family gatherings, everything. How do I move forward now? I imagine this is the question of every person living in Lebanon today. Prior to the explosion that blew up, the port of Beirut killed scores of people and injured thousands. The country was imploding financially, was rife with political corruption, divided internally, had enemies within and without, and the coronavirus was spreading. Now the whole country is in disarray. How do they move forward now? Your situation may not be as tragic or dramatic as that of Lebanon, but at the same time, your life is much more volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous than it was six months ago. You may be asking the question of how to move forward in relation to your education, your business, your professional career, your immigration process, your retirement plans, your wedding plans, your children's future, or how to care for your aging parents. How do you move forward now? Psalm 127 is a song with wisdom for everyday life. It teaches us how to posture ourselves. It shows us where to begin. So here it is. Psalm 127, verse 1. 
Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So, this psalm is a song of ascent. A song to be sung by pilgrims as they ascend to Jerusalem for the three annual festivals in Israel. You can imagine a pilgrim family building their tabernacle, their dwelling outside the city walls of Jerusalem, remembering the wilderness journey of the people of Israel as they traveled from Egypt to the promised land, singing this song as they worked. The basic theme of the song is this. Without the Lord's blessing, all human effort is worthless. But then, what is the context of this song? Some believe the setting of the psalm to be the building of the temple in Jerusalem. Others consider it to be the establishment of the king's reign in Jerusalem. But I believe it to be the family. Why? Because the language of the song is family household language. In fact, the song covers the life cycle of a family from early foundations to final years. It's worth unpacking a bit, not just for families, but for every individual person. In the first three verses, the Hebrew reads, in vain those who build it labor. In vain the watchman stays awake. In vain you rise up early. The emphasis is on the futility, the worthlessness, the uselessness of building, protecting, and trying to provide for the home without the Lord. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. When we think of building, we begin with the foundation. You want a, a solid, secure foundation upon which you can build. What serves as a foundation for a life, a marriage, a family, a career, a church, a business, or a city? The Lord does not ask us to be the foundation of our lives. He offers himself as our foundation, our rock. The psalmist said, God is my rock 30 times. Maybe you remember the children's song. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down, and the floods came up, and the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down, and the floods came up, and the house on the sand went smash. In Jesus' final words in the Sermon on the Mount, he draws on Psalm 127, verse 1. The final words are really important. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. 
I quote from Jesus, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You see, life, it's, it's just laced with storms and waves and rain and winds and earthquakes, crises. COVID-19 is really testing our foundation. None of us are escaping this one. This is why we need to ponder how we will build Most often, the problem is not the storm, but the foundation. If you study the recent history of Lebanon, it becomes readily apparent why their nation is crumbling. The key matter of concern for me, personally, and for you, is not COVID-19 and all of the uncertainty it brings, but our foundation. So what serves as a foundation for a life, a marriage, a family, a business, a church? In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Eli and his sons, they're serving as priests in Israel. They have this God-entrusted ministry, but they are building on the sand. Their family is laced with corruption and immorality. Eli, he's an absent, complacent father. And as their house falls, the Lord says through his prophet, I will bring down your house, Eli, and I will build a sure house for Samuel. Why? Because Samuel's life was built on the Lord, his rock, his rock. He was attentive to the word of God, attuned to God's heart, and ready to do his will. We allow God to be our foundation by nurturing our relationship with Jesus through worship and prayer, by sitting in the Word of God, absorbing it, and living it out in daily life. All of the teachings of Jesus are for application in every sphere of life. The wisdom of Psalm 127 is a God-breathed word for everyone. Jesus is not only to be the foundation of our house, He, the Lord, is the master builder. Now, my wife, she has these ideas about how she would like to renovate our condo. Usually she shares them with me on my day off when I just want to rest. And then I wonder how I'm going to do what she wants. And she says, look, I watched this YouTube video. It will be super easy. Anyone could do it. So then I feel like a real loser if I don't make an attempt to do it. This spring, she had these ideas about what we should do in our condo. I looked at her plans and said, "Uh, I think it'll take me about two weeks. My oldest brother came over in the meantime and I presented the plan to him. He looked at me and said, two days. He's a man of few words. And I said, what, two days? Are you sure? Add a bit more detail. Tell me the story of how you will do it in two days. And he just said, two days. So he came and did it in two days. See, he has a construction company. His crew worked efficiently. He had the 
They had the plan in their heads. They didn't stop. They had the tools required, and they knew exactly what they were doing. Done in two days with a few minutes to spare. My wife just looked at me and shook her head. Jesus, the Lord, he is the master architect and builder when it comes to a life, when it comes to a professional career, a marriage, a family, a church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hell cannot take down what Jesus is building. When we are building, whatever it is, it is amazing how the Lord will help us when we invite him into the process. He understands how we fit together and complement one another. He understands relationships and oneness. He understands gifting and calling. He understands the order and phases of construction. He knows what it takes to build. The motto of the city of Edinburgh, Scotland, reads as follows. Nisi dominus frustra. It's Latin for without the Lord, in vain. It's an abbreviation of Psalm 127, verse 1. It could be attached to leadership teams that are trying to do church without God, couples trying to build a marriage without God, parents trying to build a family without God, business owners trying to build a business without God, without the Lord in vain. Jesus must be our foundation and builder. The songwriter goes on in verse 1. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In ancient Israel, cities were protected by walls. And in times of political uncertainty or warfare, a city tended to expend much energy in guarding itself against enemy attacks. A nervous population needed to know that God watched over the city. As we learned from Psalm 121, verse 4, the Lord sovereignly watches over not only the city and the nation, but the individual. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord protects day and night. The Lord is your keeper. Striving to watch over and guard what you are building is a futile, arrogant exercise if God is not blessing and protecting. So put your trust in him. And then in verse 2, the songwriter, he speaks to provision. 127 verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved Sleep. In this verse, sleep, it's contrasted with anxiety, not with work itself. Now, it's futile to anxiously toil and sweat to make a living if God is not providing. In ancient Israel, most people were subsistence farmers. It was a a hand-to-mouth existence, dependent on the sun and seasonal rains, It was a fragile existence, vulnerable to enemy attack, vulnerable to pestilence and drought. The growth of the plants, the size of the harvest, depended on God, their provider. The songwriter writes that the Lord provides for those he loves even while they sleep. What this expressive language means is that what is needed is not anxious toil and sleepless nights, but faith and trust. 
work. It becomes toil when we believe God to be absent or uncaring, when it all depends on us. Jesus draws on Psalm 127, verse 2 as well, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If God has gifted us with life and a body, both worth so much more than food and clothing, Will he not provide food and clothing? If God has created and sustains life, will he not provide for that life? You see, anxiety, it reveals a basic lack of trust in God. Jesus invites us to look at the birds. In the parallel passage of Matthew 6 and Luke chapter 12, we read, look at the ravens. The command is to stop focusing on our anxious thoughts for a few minutes and observe some birds. They know something we keep forgetting. So I decided to be obedient and observe some crows. I noticed that crows do not wait for God to drop food into their beaks. Crows find food. They make nests. They feed their young. They are active. Crows can be found all over the world in a variety of habitats. They prefer grasslands, but they can also be found in suburban neighborhoods like Burnaby. They fly home to the roost at the end of the day. In fall and winter, about three to 6,000 crows roost in Burnaby at Still Creek. They're here all year. They're survivors. As long as there is food and water. They're extremely intelligent, but they don't appear to be worried. If anything, they have an attitude. We are to observe God's providential care in creation. Even the feeding of a crow falls within his concern. In light of that care observed, we are to answer the question, are you not of more value than they? Aren't you worth more than birds to the Father? Out of all of God's creatures, only we humans are created in the image of God. The Father loved us so much that he sent his own Son for us. Do we understand how much he loves us? Anxious toil will not add hours to our lives. The word from Jesus is this. If you're following your anxious thoughts, you're looking in the wrong direction. And to uproot our anxieties around food and clothing and life and general protection and building, we need more than a command to not be anxious. We need to see life in a fundamentally new way. We need to believe in the presence of something more, something deeper, something more powerful, and something more foundational. We need to trust in God himself. So this is the fundamental question. Whom do we trust? The one who cares for his creation, the birds and wildflowers? He can be counted on to care for his, for his children, for us. You see, the Lord provides in all seasons. In recent times, pre-COVID, 
we may have struggled to find Psalm 127 to be relevant because we'd removed ourselves from the realities of disease and famine, the grittiness of daily agricultural life and the finality of death. We thought we could make life work for ourselves. But when disease and death stare us in the face, when professional and financial instability threaten us, we suddenly realize that we're not in control. We are actually insecure and fragile. We're dependent. But many have a problem. They no longer believe in a God who sovereignly works, cares for us, and provides for us. So they are left to trust in themselves. And they experience increasing levels of anxiety. And the root of unhealthy anxiety is just unbelief. Those who build a house must work on it. Those who watch over a city must stay awake. Those who farm must still till the soil, but they must do their work in faith and rest, trusting God to build, to protect, to provide. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We can only enter the fall season in a restful manner without toil, stress, and anxiety if we are trusting in the Lord and joining him in what he is doing. After these words about building protection and provision, the songwriter in Psalm 127 adds some really interesting pieces. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now, obviously, a husband and a wife must do something to bring children into the world, but it is God who ultimately gifts the couple with children. The Lord is always the one who gives life. And children, they're like arrows, according to the songwriter. Sometimes God gifts you with a child with an attitude. My wife Judy and I, we were church planting, and the pastor couple of our home church came to visit us. After the Sunday morning service, we sat around the dinner table and I asked our pastor to pray. He started to pray this fervent prayer. Our two-year-old daughter was sitting in her high chair. She had learned to pray really short prayers. About one minute into the pastor's eloquent prayer, she said, I'm done now. The pastor just kept praying. She glared at him from her high chair. After another 15 seconds of prayer, she said, now with a bit more emphasis, I'm done now. Pastor's wife started to giggle, but the pastor, he was undeterred. He was blessing our family, our church, the city, the nation. After another 15 seconds of prayer, our daughter yelled, I said, I'm done now. Amen. Pastor finally stopped. We were all snickering, a little embarrassed. I shared that incident with a wise mentor, and he said, don't break the arrow, guide it, don't break it. That was really good counsel. I'll do my daughter's wedding in a few weeks. Her husband can deal with her now. Parents, 
Children are arrows to be pointed in the right direction. Don't break them. Guide them. The songwriter continues in verse 5 with these words, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Another translation would be when he contends with his enemies in the gate. These verses draw on a war metaphor. Children are like arrows. As arrows protect the warrior, so children protect their parents. Parents with a full quiver are blessed and favored because when they are aging, their children will protect the house. When they are too weak to defend themselves, their children will rally around them, stand with them against every threat. Now, what is meant by enemies in the gate? Well, the psalmist is referring to the open space near the inner gate of the city. It was the place where legal disputes were settled, where justice was administered. So what is the songwriter saying? Aging parents need not be intimidated by unjust judges, malicious accusers, and false witnesses when on trial because their children will stand with them and defend them in times of adversity. When children are in their infancy, they do not always appear to be a blessing. They are a lot of work, day and night. You invest a lot of energy, time, and resources. You lose a lot of sleep. But if you raise them in the ways of their creator, they will be a blessing as you grow older. Some parents are listening and saying, Oh, I just can't wait for that day to come. Be assured. The day will come. Note that no formula for success is offered in this psalm, but an invitation is made to submit to the Lord, to trust Him to be our foundation. An invitation is made to be in relationship with Him as we build, to trust Him for protection and provision along the way, to acknowledge the gift of every blessing, and to trust God in the whole cycle of life from beginning to end. The Lord, He cares for His children from beginning to end. Who will be the foundation? the designer, the architect, the builder, the sustainer of what we are building. The wisdom message of this psalm is that we are to be God-centered in our everyday lives, to acknowledge that our human enterprises only succeed by God's grace. God is the sovereign Lord over the house, the city, the field, and the family. He is the foundation, the builder, the watcher, the provider, the giver of life. The Lord is deeply connected to the concerns, the struggles of everyday life. How should we move forward? Well, in humble dependence on the giver of life, our foundation, our builder, protector, provider, and friend. Let's pray. So, Father, we do thank you that we can live under your care. You have all of life in your hands. You have this moment in your hands. You have us in your hands. And so we look to you. Lord, may we just immerse ourselves in your word, ground ourselves in your word, allow you to be our foundation. May we allow you to guide us 
as we work, as we relate to people, as we care for people, as we build. And may we have the joy of hearing your voice over our lives, of having you guide us by your spirit. Thank you that you never leave us. Thank you that you are present to provide wisdom in every area of life. I pray over each person listening today. May they be just filled with joy and peace because of who you are. May they rest in your faithfulness and your goodness. I pray over the families that are watching today. I pray, Lord, that they would be graced with your peace, and I pray that they would have the joy of seeing you build their home, build their family. I pray for peace in relationships. I pray that they would love you and love each other like never before. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us alone. Thank you that we can move forward trusting you, knowing that you have not only this moment in your hands, but the future as well. So thank you, Lord. We praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.